Fallow community. Welcome to our late June podcast. And hopefully you've been able to take a breather, you know, this summer before VBS starts up again. That is, if it is happening again, you know, in person. Do you even remember how to handle all those kids in your worship space? You know, all those beach balls coming at your Digico? Watch out. Uh, Maybe that was one of the benefits of COVID is that we didn't have to deal with that. Anyway, on the upside, I love that our church buildings were created as places for our church together and the kids in VBS, they're a part of our church. So as much as I like spending my time getting stuff done, I love that we get a chance to make a difference in the lives of the next generation by you know, facilitating an environment where they can potentially experience God. I mean, that's why the production exists in the first place in your church. For those of you who are new to the podcast, we're here to encourage you, the technical artist, that what you do matters through the content of this podcast, as well as through our coaching cohorts, the Philo Conference, and our book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas. The goal is to help you become more effective so that your church can become more effective. And speaking of being more effective, we had our Philo team debrief recently, where we sort of looked at survey results that you all filled out if you came to the Philo Conference in person or the online event. And, you know, we combined that with our own experience and you know, the pain we felt at certain times and successes. And from an insider perspective, uh, this was definitely the most challenging Philo yet. And as you know, from your own church experience, that doing an in-person event at the same time that you're doing an online event is not easy. I mean, one of those things alone isn't easy, but doing them both at once like you all do is not a simple task. I love going back and learning from our experiences, and I was really energized by our conversations and the ideas of how to make Philo the best it can possibly be. We expended a ton of time and energy to pull off the event, and I didn't want to waste the opportunity to get better from the mistakes we made. Everything you and I do is an opportunity to learn and grow, and as all of us, has an opportunity each week to get better to learn from our good and not so good experiences. So I would just encourage you, even in VBS, take advantage of the chance to become a better version of yourself with every opportunity. All right, now to the podcast. I had a chance to sit down with former TD and now the founder of the First Impressions Conference, Greg Atkinson. We talked about all kinds of stuff, but one of the interesting things about Greg is that he's a secret shopper for churches. So he shows up unannounced, takes a bunch of notes, meets with the team afterwards about his experience. And I figured there were probably a few things we could learn from Greg. So we chatted and here it is. Greg, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? Yeah, doing all right. So Greg, I don't think you and I have actually met in person before, have we? We've only kind of done the Zoom call thing now and then. Does that sound accurate? Well, we talked about this uh, on a Zoom call last year. I think we may have met uh, years ago at Willow Creek. But not okay. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure we've definitely been in the same room a few times without maybe knowing it. But if we have met, we, yeah, neither one of us have a great memory. I guess we're getting yeah. older. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and maybe how you got there? Because so I think uh, people who are listening to our podcast, yeah, would be interested just in kind of your journey to what you're doing now. Sure. Where I I started out in 1994 in ministry on church staff and uh, first 11 years, I was a worship leader. Then I went into technical arts and production and then was a campus pastor at a multi-site church for six years. And then the last five and a half years, I've been full-time consulting. I had started consulting back in 2005 when I lived in Dallas, Texas, and um, did it off and on on the side while I was working on staff at churches. But for the past five and a half years, I haven't been on a church staff. So I I serve at my local church, but I do it as a volunteer. Okay, uh, I'm not officially on staff. I just help the pastor out with things. Uh, we're a church plant, but I work for myself. I'm an entrepreneur. I have a couple conferences I run, and then... Um, advise churches when it comes to guest experience and the weekend worship. And so, and I run some Facebook groups that have to do with that as well. Uh, And I'm a writer. So just author, speaker, writer, consultant. Okay. If I were to imagine the line between kind of a beginning and where you are now, I don't know that I would draw it going through like a worship leader, tech person, campus pastor. I mean, that's kind of a interesting journey. How did you, you know, going from worship leader to 
to production person. Yeah. What made that that shift for you? Well, the first what happened was after leading worship for 11 years, I moved to Dallas, Texas to start the company Worship House Media. Oh, wow. Okay. I ran that and uh, oversaw that. Got very involved in the church video, church media resources world, and got to meet a lot of people that know me through that world. And then after doing that for a couple years, I I just felt like I wasn't supposed to sell church videos the rest of my life. I wanted to, (laughs) I kind of missed, I I had interviewed at Saddleback and was offered a job to be the media pastor at Saddleback from Rick Munchow and uh, ended up, my wife didn't want to move to California. So I turned that down, but I went on staff at uh, Bent Tree Bible Fellowship in uh, Dallas, Texas with, uh, you probably know Scott Dyer, Scott sure. Dyer, um, yep. with them on, on the worship team there, worship staff there. But I had gotten to a season in my life when I was leaving Worship House Media and wanting to go back on a local church staff. I didn't want to be that upfront person anymore that, you know, everybody always sees the pastor and the worship leader and right. you're, you're, you're seen as upfront on the stage. You know, I always led from guitar. So I wanted to be more behind the scenes and Scott and I had a really good relationship because I knew I could anticipate his needs. I knew what he wanted. I knew what he was looking for. I understood what he was asking for. So I spoke on another podcast years ago, tech podcast about being an equipper versus a doer. I've always had kind of a capital L leadership approach, but I didn't do things individually or specifically. So I wasn't running sound and I wasn't running camera and I wasn't running lights and I wasn't video directing, even though I made my rounds and and did all those just to be familiar with them and to be able to oversee them and and teach and train. But I just oversaw the technical arts ministry as an equipper and a leader and a pastor and shepherd. We had an audio director and we had video director and, and, and different, you know, and a lighting designer and different people that they were specialists and I just poured into them and shepherded them. And so uh, we were in the midst of a building project. We built a 3,300 seat auditorium. And oh, wow. so I was busy. I was working with uh, Clark and picking out every single piece of gear in that auditorium. Mm-hmm. We were early on one of the first churches. This was in 2007 to build and design from the beginning HD. A lot of churches like right across the street from Bentry is Prestonwood. Right. They were retrofitting and turning their systems into HD. And I didn't want to go through that one day down the road when I knew that was the future. Sure, right. So we wanted to start out HD. And so it was a fun adventure and met a lot of great friends. We used to have a, a tech gathering of tech directors in the Dallas area. Okay. A lot of guys like uh, Jason Cole, who was at uh, Lake Point, and right. um, Brian Davis, who was at Fellowship Dallas, and then Highland Park United Methodist. And me and a bunch of guys, we would get together and do lunch at a Mexican restaurant and just have kind of a, a brotherhood and a fellowship sure. and hanging out and supporting one another and encouraging one another. But those were good days in Dallas. I, I love love my Dallas years. Yeah. Because you were formerly a worship pastor and then becoming the TD, the tech person, I'm guessing that you understood a lot, you know, what what that person needed. And you kind of mentioned it already, just because you used to be that person. Right. Uh, I'm guessing that it helped you immensely to be able to do Absolutely. that job well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. If he, if, if, you know, Scott Dyer was our worship pastor, if he asked for something, whether it be creative stage design or uh, a lighting element or something in his monitors or in ear, you know, regardless of what it was, I understood it. I was a musician. My audio director, Tom Petrowski. Oh, Tom, was, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was on my staff. So Tom it has, a, has a degree in piano. You know, I, I hired Tom from Philadelphia and it was the first time he had ever left Philly and uh, came to Dallas. And so um, Tom had a musical background being a pianist. I had a musical background and took voice and piano and guitar. And so uh, we really understood the musicians. We, had, we worked well together. We understood what Scott wanted and Vonda and the vocalists. And, and Tom had a great mix and, um, and we, uh, we, had, we had a great production and 
did some cool things, but uh, it, it, it was good to, it was just the right season in my life where I knew I wanted to be behind the scenes and serve somebody else. Sure. And so we had a great relationship. Every time I saw Scott or still see Scott, uh, he would hug me. He would walk up and hug me. It was the first thing he did. But we just had a great relationship and some sweet times there at Venturi. So and um, those are special memories. So you get to the end of your technical run and you become a campus pastor. I mean, was that, did you become a campus pastor of Bentree, had a location and you became that, you know, the obvious choice no, or was it for a totally moved, different? Yeah, I moved to Joplin, Missouri, uh, where the tornado hit uh, about this week, 10 years ago. But oh, wow. um, I got to a stage in my leadership career where I wanted more responsibility and wanted to oversee more. And I figured I either wanted to be an executive pastor or a right. campus pastor because for a musician and an artist, I have a lot of administrative gifts and a lot of leadership gifts and not just all uh, right brain art. I, I have right. a lot of administrative gifts. And so I was praying about executive pastor or campus pastor and campus pastor seemed to be a little bit more people oriented. I didn't right. want to deal with HR and insurance and uh <laughs> Risk management and, uh, and yeah. yeah, all the stuff that, that typical XP deals with. So I went the campus pastor route and got to uh, just shepherd people, which I love. I, I got into ministry because I love people. I'm actually doing it right now. I'm, I'm um, a part-time executive pastor with a, a, a church here in Charlotte where okay. I live. Going up the leadership ladder, I just, I wanted to oversee more and be kind of a chief of staff and oversee sure. all the all the staff, whether it be youth or children's or worship or guest services. Uh, I wanted to oversee everybody's small groups. I wanted outreach. I wanted to oversee everything. Yeah. And so that was, that was fun. Sure. It's interesting. I mean, uh, not that we plan to talk about this, but it's interesting to me that in the life of a church tech person, there is no path beyond the being the tech person, unless you go work for an integrator. You know, it's like uh, leave the church and go work somewhere else, but there's right. no obvious pathway to more leadership where I, I sort of with you a little bit in the, to become an executive pastor makes a lot of good sense to me because as a, the tech person, you're involved in everything that happens. You, yeah. you touch every ministry, you are yeah. involved in everything that everybody is doing. And so, yeah, just it makes for people that, yeah, have a good grasp or an understanding of what's going on all over. Yeah, in the years, you know, that I was in Dallas, church production was coming on the scene more and more and more with things like Orange and Kids Ministries doing FX-type productions. And we had an FX theater and did the whole Orange conference and Orange philosophy and had people come out and turn the kids' ministry area into the whole Disney World kind of feel and uh, kind of felt like North Point. And so and it was the guy that did North Point. But yep. you needed a, a leader that was an equipper and a capital, I always say capital L leader that could oversee a comprehensive ministry. So like I didn't have the bandwidth and capacity to be running production in the kids' ministry. And they had a full-on FX experience with cameras and iMag and uh, production, but I can't be everywhere at once. And then we right. had, this was uh, uh, before Bentry went multi-site, we had an overflow room and we had host in an overflow room and we had music in an overflow room and we had uh, an extra venue as we, before we built our 3,300 seat auditorium, we were, we were using overflow spaces and extra venues. And right. we were doing sun, two services Sunday morning, two services Sunday night. When we went from an 1,100 seat auditorium to a 3,300 seat auditorium, I could tell that our team was going to have to grow. And it actually had to triple in size uh, of volunteers from stage managers to camera operators to video directors and everything was going to be bigger and larger scale because of what we were taking on. And so I just got into recruitment mode and I wrote a, I wrote a blog years ago called the empty seat or the empty chair and how every Wednesday night at rehearsal, and I'm a big, big proponent of rehearsal and practicing mm -hmm. what's going to happen on Sunday. But every rehearsal, we had an empty seat next to the lighting director, the camera operator, the audio 
person. Right. Uh, there, every, there was there was somebody there training and in 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 uh, process getting up to speed on the team. And so uh, I had my go-to camera operators that were great at teaching. Uh, not only are not, not only were they artistic and good at finding great shots, but they could also explain it and teach it. And we would use, you know, connection cards and things where people would fill out, I'm interested in serving in production and so for technical arts. And so when people came in my way through, whether it be a new members class or spiritual gifts thing, or somehow somebody had filtered prospects to me, when they came to me, I would say, I'm going to match them up with Joe. Joe's an amazing camera operator and he can, he's friendly and personable and he can teach them. And, uh, and so we use Wednesday night for teaching and training and, right. and uh, working on at, at the same time what we were going to do Sunday. But, you know, one story I love to share when it comes to production, I've shared this at my Charlotte getaway weekend that I do with First Impressions people. Well, first, let me back up and say this, Todd. I've said this to so many people over the over the last decade, so many people over the years you know, now I'm known for first impressions and guest services, and I do a lot with that. And you have, you know, greeters that complain if they have to greet one entire service and then sit through another service, they want to do both in the same service. You know, they want to, they want to show up 15 minutes before the service, greet, go into the service, sit down, watch the service, and then run out at the closing prayer and greet at the end and, and be one and done, one service, one and done. Right. And I have said to people over and over and over, and I said this recently in a staff meeting as an executive pastor, when the children's ministry director was complaining about something and the guest services director said something, I said, nobody outworks production. <laughs> yeah. They are the first to arrive, last yep. to leave. I mean, it's it's Philo, it's, it's your thing. Yeah. They, I said, nobody outworks production. They arrive before anybody else and they leave after everybody else. Right. Yeah. It's just, your brand is, 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 is remarkable because it's so true. And I've said it over and over and over because, you know, we've got as first impressions directors, you got greeters and ushers complaining because we asked them to serve the whole morning. Now, we don't ask them to arrive at 6 a.m., but we ask them to serve for two services, you know, and you, 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 we tell people you're on for the whole day. You're going to serve 9 and 11 or 930 and 11. You're going to serve the whole morning you know, having a production background, I understand, I saw camera operators and stage managers and different people showing up so early and leaving so late and coming to our midweek right, rehearsal. Right, yeah. Greeters don't have to rehearse. They don't come right. up Wednesday or Thursday night, you know, so, so that, that's one thing. But uh, when it comes to people over production, which was one of the values we had at, I was on staff at Transformation Church here in Charlotte with Darwin right. Gray we had a value of people over production. And I remember years ago being in a frenzy one, one uh, Sunday morning, I got there early. We had a change. Something was going to change. It was a song or, or something, something was going to change in the service. And uh, one of my camera operators arrived and um, he came, he came walking up towards me and I said, did you hear about the change? He said, good morning. I'm fine. How are you? And kind of, you know, kind of woke me up from, you know, it's all about people. It's all yeah, yeah. people over production. But he said, he said something like, I'm fine. How are you? And I said, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm good, man. Good to see you. Yes, we do have a change today. Uh, I need to, I need to walk you through that. But I, I just, I remembered that it, people are more important than tasks. And people are more important than cues and the planning center cue sheet and all that. And, and, you know, we we can get so tight, uh, so caught up in production that we forget that these are moms and dads and business owners. One of my camera operators was an executive with Marriott, like he was overseeing hotels. You know, then you have the, the homeschool mom who's been teaching class all day. Or, you know, the, the people that show up or the, the widow, I had a widow who was a stage manager who had lost her husband and I was with her husband by his bed as he was dying from cancer. And then mm. she was still wanting to serve after that, you know, and 
um, to remember these are people first. Right. I think it's so important. One of the things that I tell people a lot is that I think most people, when they sign up to serve in production, it's because they think it's cool or they like the gear or, you know, there's some kind of a, an attraction to the equipment and the task. But I guarantee every anybody who stays is staying for the relationships. Um, Absolutely. That after, after a while, yeah, it's like, the next mix, the next camera, the you know, none of that matters. But it's all about being with each other and being in community with each other. Group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and I and think it's yeah, it's so it's it is tough because you you know there is a task to be done. There's yes, a thing to get is. done, and we can't uh, we can't ignore that, but we also can't let it take over. Yeah. One, one of the things that I was most proud of in my years in Dallas at Bentry is um, I put together a volunteer leadership team. And so every single area, whether it was video editing or live video, lighting, audio, uh, stage manager, every single area had a volunteer point leader that oversaw that ministry. Okay. And I would lead meetings and I would say this ministry cannot be Greg centric. It cannot be Greg centric. You all have to own your area. And uh, I gave the, I did a lot of delegating and a lot of equipping and just letting them lead. A few years later, you know, they, Bentry got into some financial trouble from building the auditorium and had to lay off a lot of staff. And so they laid off me and Tom and my team and, and the youth pastor and a whole bunch of people. But they, I asked them, I said, why are you letting why are you letting me go? That that's that seems strange. Like <laughs> you think you think you would let go like a weak link or something. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and Scott said, Scott said, Greg, you you worked yourself out of a job. Right. He said he said you've got it set up where it can run without you. And for five years after I left, the ministry was ran by a volunteer leadership team. Oh, they wow. never hired or replaced my position for years because it was completely ran at a mega church by volunteers Amazing. because I would always preach. It can't be Greg centric. It's got to be bigger. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember even little things like when I came into the position, it had been vacant for a little bit. Okay. There was a woman who had took over putting in the slides into media shout. We were using media shout at the time and then right. we transitioned to easy worship and then we transitioned to pro presenter. But they, we were using Media Shout at the time, and she would put the slides in for the songs for that week. And so when I came on board, she said, "Do you want me to continue doing this, or do you want to do it?" I said, "No, you do it. You do. It. I don't. I don't. I don't have to have a special degree to put in <laughs> slides, you know." So there would be times where they would this before we went to complete iMag when they would choose backgrounds, and we had video and still backgrounds that would go with the with the with the lyrics for right. songs, and I would. I blogged about this before. I wouldn't necessarily like the background, but there were times where I purposely bit my tongue because I wanted to give them some responsibility and authority. A lot of times we delegate tasks, but we don't delegate authority. Right. So I wanted to give them that, that authority to say, I'm choosing this background. And then uh, the only time I would speak up uh, when, when people would do the, especially when we got into lower thirds and IMAG, is if the font was too small because we had a giant auditorium, 3,300 seats. Right. And I would stand on the back row. And I remember taking one of my interns and walking to the back of the auditorium and putting up his uh, lower third of a, of a lyric that he had come up with because he thought it looked cool to be really tiny and small. Right, right. <laughs> and I said, can you read this? <laughs> uh, and so I walked him to the back of the room and said, can you really read that? If you're, if you're, you know, 50, 60 years old standing in here trying to sing right. along with a song and those lyrics are moving really quick with lower thirds. But uh, that was the only time I really spoke up and said, they need to be bigger, my friend. Yeah. But I, I remember purposely zipping my mouth when there was a background chosen when we were all stills and, and full screen graphics. I remember zipping my mouth thinking she picked that. I'm going to let her own it. I wouldn't have chose that background, but. Now, is that something that you learned to do or just in that moment that you know, this example that you're sharing, it just was kind of a more like an epiphany. Like if I like, don't bite my tongue, then she's going to, you know, not feel the responsibility. 
it's just the way I've always been wired. You know, okay. when, when I interviewed at Bentry and with Rick Muchow at Saddleback, when I interviewed with Rick at Saddleback, who just passed away and, you know, yeah. God bless Rick, man. He's yeah. such a, such an awesome man of God. For sure. And, uh, um, he will be dearly missed. But, uh, when I interviewed with Rick and when I interviewed with Scott at Bentry, I told them both, I said, you know, I've never been a technical director before. I'm a musician. I'm a worship leader. Right. I have an appreciation for it. I understand it. I used to speak at tech conferences and our, my, our church was always known. We were the first ones using PowerPoint and the first one, you know, I can remember taking my, t- my, my church in the nineties from 35 millimeter slide projector to, uh, <laughs> to, a to, a, a projector, right. uh, project video projection. And I remember 500 re- lumens or something like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember researching the video projectors and testing them out and trying them out and getting our church to use PowerPoint. I'll tell you a story. Um, I have fired people over the years. Uh, I've wrote a blog about firing a volunteer, Uh uh, which is something I've done several times. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a balance between people over production and letting, setting boundaries and having guidelines and rules. But I remember in the 90s, we had one guy up in the, it was like a balcony sound thing. We had one guy who did everything. He did the um, 35 millimeter slide projector and he ran sound and it was one man and he was, it was always him. And I wanted to build a team. I wanted to have more than one person serve. And so when we went to video projection and PowerPoint, I put a second guy on the team for, for this, Uh for this particular Sunday morning. And um, I said, you're going to just do sound and this guy's going to do slides and this guy got upset and started to storm off and, and climb back down the stairs for the um, uh, of the balcony. And he went he can't he went walking. He he was so upset that he wasn't the one man show. And this is where I learned it. This is 1995. This is where I learned this kind of leadership and equipping. Is this guy was a doer, and I, I've written about in my first book the difference between equippers and doers. He was mm-hmm. he was a pure doer, and he didn't understand the um, the philosophy of wanting to have a team, wanting to have multiple people involved. And so he started to walk off, and I was like, "Please come back." You know, I'm like 21 years old. I'm like, "Please come <laughs> back. We're getting ready to to practice for Sunday morning." This was Sunday morning. Yeah, I was like, "Please come back." So he would turn around and he came walking storming, huffing, puffing, and he got to the stairs getting ready to go back up. And I was like, no, you know what? Never mind. You can leave. We don't need your services anymore. And I was a young kid, but I just had enough in me to realize I don't want to work with this kind of attitude. Right. And then uh, when we were at Bentry, we had a lighting designer who was very talented, very good, worked gigs in the Dallas area, but he had a bad attitude and he took his team for granted and um, would show up late and uh, just kind of mailed it in. So um, I would talk to him and talk to him and talk to him. And finally, I fired him. And I said, you're going you're gonna to leave the team indefinitely. And uh, I have somebody that would like to meet with you. And I wanted to take them through Rory Nolan's Heart of the Artist. Okay. And I said, you can meet with them and go through Heart of the Artist and learn what it's like to be a part of a team and to appreciate what, what it's like or you can never serve here again. And um, he got really upset initially and his dad got really upset initially, but he ended up going through the restoration process and met and went through Heart of the Artist, came back. As far as I know, he still serves to this day at oh, Bentry wow. and uh, does light lighting professionally and uh, does, it, does it around Dallas. But we have a great relationship. And when I go back, we hang out. But um, it was just setting that boundary of you can't treat your team members like this. He was... He had the worst attitude and it was affecting the, the adults around him. You know, he yeah. was younger, but it, it was affecting the adults that would come in from work and arrive on time. And he was just kind of showing up late. And so had to address that. But yeah. I would much rather work with someone that is has a great attitude and is willing to learn yeah. than somebody who knows everything yeah. and isn't willing to work together. 
Yeah. And so I know for me, I always struggled with, well, if I let this person go, what am I going to do? You know, yeah. it's like your example of the audio engineer, like it's Sunday morning, what are we going to do without him? Yeah. But, you know, in the long run, and that's, I think the hard part when Sunday's coming around so regularly, looking further down the field to, yeah. you know, the future weekends that this is going to be better for everybody if if I have this hard conversation or, you know, make the hard call to let them go. And that's what, you know, Darwin used to always talk about at Transformation Church, team, T-A-M, together, everyone achieves more. For sure. We're, we're in this together. And so teamwork makes the dream work. He used to say that a yeah, lot. Yeah. You know, Darwin played football, so he's got all these team <laughs> analogies, but he would say teamwork makes the dream work. Together, everyone achieves more. But, uh, you know, we, we were a brotherhood and it was like a small group. And so we wanted to, uh, encourage one another. I think it was emboldening for me to be 21 years old. I started when I was 18, my first mm -hmm. church staff in 1994. So this is my 27th year. But I think that was a win, whether I realized it at the time or not, Right. to realize I can let this guy go and we're going to build a team. So the new guy that showed up for that morning, he understood there were always going to be two guys in a booth. And I blew their mind years later when we added a third guy for lighting. You know? <laughs> but it Woo. started out with a sound guy and a slide guy. Yeah. And then for big productions and Christmas and Easter, we added a third guy for lighting. Yeah. But it was starting small. And this was at a church of 400, just starting small and starting to build and starting to grow. But realizing that we're going to be a team and we're going to pull this off together. I've always had a bent towards technology. Mm -hmm. I can remember at my first church in 1994 or five matching up. We were the, I was the, I was, you know, I directed a choir as the minister of music worship leader at a traditional Baptist church. We would do a musical with a track and I can remember timing the slide projector, the 35 yeah, millimeter yeah, yeah. slide projector with musical cues for sure. so that the slides would move in, in such a way that it felt like they were in motion. I was trying to interpret video without having video capability. But when there was like a, this uh, trickling, brookling sound on this track, I was showing pictures of streams and brooks and water. Sure. And I would walk through all the cues on the script with the person who was going to be running the slide projector <laughs> to say, it's got to feel like, like water's moving and it's got to move with you. Yeah. Uh, and this was long before they came out with video projection. These are just right, still right. frames of pictures, but uh, I, I, I always lean towards more. Yeah. I tell you what, I, I joke a lot. The first couple of times coming to Willow Creek in the early nineties, they had that super wide screen that filled the entire stage opening. And I think they had nine slide projectors that they would do this big multimedia thing. And it blew my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. Changed my life watching those slide projector yep. shows. First yeah. time I ever went to Willow Creek was 2000. I went on staff at a brand new church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina as the worship leader. And the very first week that I got there, they were going to the evangelism conference at Willow Creek, sure, Mark yeah. Middleburg, yep. Elite Struggle. And um, I went and uh, my mind was blown. You know, it was the biggest church I'd ever seen. You yeah. know, uh, well, actually I had in the nineties, I had been to a preaching conference at First Baptist Jacksonville with Jerry Vines um, back in the day, yeah. uh, went to a preaching conference at, you know, First Baptist Jacksonville is a big auditorium. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, what they were doing with media and tech and production at Willow Creek, and drama at that time just For blew sure, my yeah. mind. Uh, yeah. it, it was phenomenal. Yeah. So now uh, one of the big things that you do is kind of like this secret shopper thing. You go, yeah. when you're helping other churches, you're going, you're showing up on a weekend. Nobody knows who you are. You're taking notes of the experience. And so you run the first impressions uh, conference. Yeah. And so that, you know, a lot of it is from the minute you pull in to the minute you leave. And I, there's a lot of that that I find very fascinating, but yeah. also even what the service is like. And I thought it'd be great for us to talk a little bit just about like, what are you seeing? Like when you're going to churches, the, you know, the production and the production value and just like what people are doing right and what they're doing wrong. 
Yeah, I can think of a story that you can relate to. When I consulted with Bayside in Sacramento, where Lincoln Brewster leads worship, yep. I was in the service. And the funny part is this is the first time I got busted, where I got a text from Lee Fields, who was <laughs> running audio. And he said, Greg, are we being secret shopped? And I looked back <laughs> at the audio booth and I shook my head. I said, yep. <laughs> and so uh, Lee and I uh, took off a Sunday afternoon after church, drove from Sacramento to San Francisco, uh, went and ate seafood and did a road trip together. Just the two of us had a great, great time. But that was mm. the first time being busted. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing that was so cool about Bayside is their lighting was phenomenal. The lighting was incredible. Uh-huh. And I look back there and it's like this 14, 15 year old kid. Yep, yep. Alec. Uh, you know, who who <laughs> tours with with Lincoln. Yeah. And I asked Lee, I said, I said, who is this kid running lights? He said, Man, Lincoln's been training these kids up and he takes them on tour with him. And I saw that uh, I remember in the 90s, years and years ago, when I was a minister of music. One of the churches I really looked up to because I used to do passion plays and production and musicals was uh, Bellevue Baptist in Memphis. Okay. And their worship pastor, their minister of music was kind of a legend. He was there like 30 years with Adrian Rogers. And I remember asking him one time at a conference, I saw your Christmas production and you had so many, you had such a huge string section You had so many violins and cellos and just a beautiful string section. How do how do you how did you build that? And he said, We we built from within, we built our own. He said, When I started here 30 years ago, we didn't have a single violin in the whole church. Mm. And we started grooming these little kids and teaching them how to play. And they had like an after school academy. And so he said, We and so I learned from him something that people to this day will say, Greg. You always think long term. Mm-hmm. I learned it from him in the '90s. He said we started building our musicians from within, and we started grooming our own violin players so that years from now we would have this huge choir and string section and sure, instrumentals. Right. And so I started. I started learning that, and then I saw that replicated with what Lincoln was doing with these young kids, these teenagers kind of like my son that has a knack for technology and a knack for learning projection and pro presenter and, um, and lighting consoles. And so this kid was back there with just the most amazing, you're sitting there, you know, next to Lee Fields and he's 14 years old. This was years ago. I don't know how old he is now, but he's (laughs) just got this beautiful lighting set uh, it's amazing. You know, I uh, I was a worship pastor in Charleston, South Carolina in the early 90s uh, or mid, mid-90s. I invested in uh, two guys that I got to lead to Christ, uh, a, a flute player and a drummer that made up my starting brand new, taking a traditional church and introducing a praise band. Right. And so I had a drummer who got baptized at our church and a, and a flute player. Well, that flute player's son is now the the assistant audio director at Passion City Church. Oh, nice. Passion Conferences with Louis Giglio. Yeah. And the drummer, his son, and these guys were toddlers back then, the drummer's son runs lights for Chris Tomlin. (laughs) And I remember, I remember these guys knew nothing about church and production and worship. And I just discipled them and poured into them and invested in them. And then years, and then this flute player, who is a scientist and had this great job with the government decides to go to seminary and become a worship pastor. And fast forward 20 years, about two years ago, he invites me to his church in North Carolina to do a secret shopper. Uh-huh. You were talking about secret shopping. He asked me to come to a secret shopper. And since it was in North Carolina and it was in driving distance, I took my son with me who's in high school. He's graduating uh, this month. And yes. I said, um, we were having dinner together Saturday night. This is where I learned this. My my uh, former worship intern and flute player and uh, assistant orchestra director said, my son, he said, your dad, he said, he, he said, you don't realize the impact that he had on my life and mm-hmm. others' lives. He said it rippled down to my kids because he's got a son at Liberty who's studying worship. He's got a son at Passion City Church he said, Greg, did you know the drummer's son is Chris Tomlin's lighting guy? I said, no, I had no idea. <laughs> so he said, he said, Greg, this made an impact on generations, on our family. 
So um, I always just believe in investing in people and discipling people and shepherding people. Yeah, definitely a long view. That's it's a great example of a long view. Yeah, a long view. Yeah, yeah. And I saw that with Lincoln Brewster. He was mm. getting it done with teenagers. Yeah, yeah. There were two teen teenagers doing lighting at Bayside at that time, and the combined ages I think were thirty. Like if you yeah. add their numbers together. Yeah. So they were like a, a real staff person, just they yeah, had to be there yeah. together. Anyway, uh, Alec is one of those guys and he's done a lot with Philo. We've had him on the podcast awesome. before. So I love awesome. that story so much. So yeah, the, just getting back to the secret shopper thing, is there anything that you're noticing? Uh, I don't know, it could be a trend that you're seeing in a production or things that uh, we tend to get wrong, like we overdo something or we underdo something or. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a couple, couple things I've noticed in the last year, you know, I, I just did a secret shopper recently and I've got another one coming up next month in Minneapolis, but I was doing one recently and I did a couple recently and I noticed a couple things. One, like for one, one church I was at recently, I'm not going to say where, cause it's a known church but they had way too much smoke or fog or haze. It, it was just, just, it looked like the nineties in there. And it was, it was, it was like looking through smoke to mm. see, to see everything. And so I talked with them about that. But the other thing that they and another church a couple months back were doing is they had an amazing live stream because now, you know, I secret shop online as well. Right. Right. And so I'll secret shop the, the uh, church online they have this amazing camera work online, but they don't do it live in the room. And so if you watch the, the live stream, they've got roving guys, they've got moving guys, and they've got, they've got everything that looks amazing to watch online. And then in the room, it was still graphics. It was just all full screen graphics okay. with, with the lyrics. And I said, and these were large auditoriums. I said, why aren't, why aren't you using the iMag in the room? Because you've got the skills down. You've got the camera work. You've got right. great production online. I'm seeing quality. Why not do that in the room? And it, it, they would use iMag during the sermon. So when the pastor came up to preach, it would switch to iMag. Sure. But they weren't doing it during the music. And so that's something that I've just seen recently where, they were crushing it online, but they didn't, tra- it didn't translate over to Sunday morning in the room. The other thing that is happening a lot more is uh, churches using texting solutions. You know, it's something that has to do with graphics. Um, I was at a church recently and they said uh, they had, they were using like text to church and they said, Hey, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're here today, text new to, then they gave a long number. So I took up my phone to test it out and I typed in new and then I click where the number goes and I look back on the screen to, to get the number and it's already taken down. Right. Right. (laughs) And I had gone to dinner with some of the team Saturday night and they were telling me, yeah, we don't have a lot of people that actually fill out the text in church. And so I said, you want to know why? (laughs) Because you didn't leave it up on the screen long enough. Right. Right. And so now like I was watching the belonging co in Nashville this past Sunday online uh-huh. And they had the QR codes up there. Yes. They had it for giving. They had it for I'm new. They had right. all these QR codes that were coming up. And I have, I was going to take a picture of what they were doing to post it in my Facebook group. And the second my camera came up on the, the screen with the QR code, it pops open to the website. Right, right. It's, it's, it's the beauty of a QR code. But I was just going to take a picture to show an example of what churches are doing. Sure. Uh, it, it opened right up to the gift page or to the notes or yeah, to I'm so new, brilliant. online digital connection card. I have to say, uh, I've been noticing, I think it's on Hulu maybe, that all their commercials now, or at least, I mean, just the other day I was watching it, every commercial had a QR code. Yeah. Um, you know, that. so the commercial was kind of pushed into a corner with extra yeah. stuff and a QR code was one of them. Like, this is a great idea. And yeah, yeah we should probably figure out how to do more of this. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing knowing what to put up on screen, when to put it up on screen, and how long to leave it—that's my right. tip for churches. Whether it be a QR code or a number to text to give or text to let people know you're new or text to, to know you made a decision like salvation, whatever it be, leave it up on the screen long enough so people can actually get the number down and in their phone. Yeah. Uh, 
It seems like yeah. the, yeah, just staying in touch with what it feels like to be the first time, you know, your first yeah. time there, you're going to want to leave the graphic up way longer than you want to yeah. when you see it every, every weekend yeah. for five years. Yeah. Yeah. When you see it all the time, you think, okay, get it down, take it down. But right. when you're there in the auditorium and you decide, do I want to text in? Yeah. Okay. I'll text in. And you're thinking through it. If that vanishes away, you miss out on that opportunity sure. and right. you don't get to connect. And for me, as a guest services first impressions guy now, I want that connection card. I want them to fill out their info so that we can contact them and follow up with them. Right. So we need that partnership with production that they leave it up on the screen long enough. So, And that goes with your live stream as well. Um, after I gave them that feedback, I checked out their online church and they had pinned to, on their Facebook Live, they had pinned the text I'm new to, they had oh, nice. pinned that to the top of their Facebook Live because they wanted it to stay there so people could see it. Oh, right. So they took the feedback to heart. Yeah. Anything that you're seeing lately, like coming out of COVID and this kind of, we've all been live streaming now, we're kind of a lot of churches coming back to a normal church. Like, is there something that you've seen recently that's just inspiring or that, you know, people have taken from what we learned in the last year and implemented yeah. it live? Yeah, what, what, what I've seen a lot of churches do, and you've probably seen this as well, is during COVID, during 2020, they invested in some type of studio type setting right. environment. There's some kind of studio environment and camera equipment and lighting and things like that. And so what I've encouraged churches to do, and I spoke about this uh, recently, I spoke at the Church Online Summit, and I said, have a pre and post show even when you're back live and you're streaming online, have somebody there in that studio environment, like a, a, a online host or an online pastor, have them speak live in a pre-environment, pre-show, and mm -hmm. then go to the service and then come out with an after party, something after the service. That um, And so I was visiting Transformation Church recently here in Charlotte just to go by and say hey to friends. And I, I walked in. And there was uh, a host in front of the camera talking in this little studio setup environment saying, you know, hey, we're here. And, you know, I watch Elevation a lot on Sunday mornings mm -hmm. because they're here in Charlotte and I can go visit them anytime. But I watch what they do online and they'll set up uh, in a certain environment at the physical campus where right. you see pastors by and attendees walking by and behind the shot. But um, keep doing those pre and post shows. Uh, so that your people watching online that maybe don't feel ready to come back yet or they're out of the geographic location or they're just more comfortable online because that's one of the realities that's happened now. I saw Kerry Newhoff post about it recently of so many churches that are just back to 20, 30, 40% of what their attendance right. used to be. And so if people have gotten comfortable in their jammies, we still want to broadcast <laughs> to them. You know, we still yeah. still want to reach them. When we were streaming services before COVID, it was just sort of like, well, we're doing the service. Let's just put it online. There's right. nothing nothing targeted to that group, right. uh, except for the fact we're streaming our services. And then in the last year, it's like everything's been about how do we engage people this way? And so being very specific. And now that we're going back to in-person church, we still need to think about how do we engage those people online? You Absolutely. can't ignore it, but you just can't, you know, automatically just, well, we'll stream our live service and that'll be enough. Uh, I totally agree with you. That. The, the two, two thoughts I would, I would add to that. One, Kerry Newhoff and Amy Stanley have been saying for the past several years, it's, it's not about attendance, it's about engagement. So we always want to try to engage. But two, one thing I've noticed doing online secret shoppers lately, there's a lot of times churches will hire me to do an online secret shopper where they don't actually fly me out through their physical campus, but I watch it online and I, critique their social media, their website, their service. One thing I've noticed, and you'll know this from back in the day, and I used to deal with this back in the day as a technical director, is their broadcast mix is not good. Right. They, they may sound amazing in the room, but they don't have a dedicated person listening to the broadcast mix. Right. And so I would say you, you realize that when I'm watching at home, I don't hear any drums whatsoever. Well, you can hear <laughs> drums in the room. Yeah, well, you need to have somebody in a studio or in a right. separate room with headphones that is doing a broadcast mix just for the people at home. So this is encouraging for me. If I was still in the technical world, which your listeners are, there is a lot of fun work for us to do. 
Yeah, There's for sure. a lot for us to do with Church Online, with Broadcast Mix, with, with making this engaging for people at home. There's a lot of good stuff that we can use our gifts and talents for here in 2021 and beyond. Yeah, for sure. When I was earlier, I might've thought, oh my gosh, more work to do. But this is more opportunities for people to get plugged in and engaged and uh, part of what God is doing through our churches. And so, yeah, I love, I love the potential for sure. Yeah. Maybe uh, you could tell us a little bit about, like if people want to uh, get in touch with you or follow you online or get one of your books, maybe tell, give yeah. us some of that information. You can find out everything about me through my name, gregatkinson.com. And then I'm at Greg Atkinson on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, facebook.com slash the Greg Atkinson is the uh, Facebook page you can follow. But I'm co-hosting the uh, Social Media Church Conference. For those of your listeners that have an interest in social media, you can you can check out uh, socialmediachurch.com slash conference, but Social Media Church Conference. And then we'll be having our regular fall First Impressions Conference, and that's just firstimpressionsconference.com. But we have a couple things that touch on production, but yeah, I have a couple conferences coming up, but you can keep up with me on uh, gregatkinson.com. All right, cool. Thanks so much for being with us. And yeah, look forward to more conversations. Yeah, thank you. I love the phrase that Greg used, people over production. I mean, it's so easy to forget that people matter more than the task list. Uh-huh, that's right. And uh, I'm always challenged by the fact that there's a huge list of things to get done and that people aren't just the means to the end of checking the things off the list. I was also really intrigued by the conversation about biting your tongue when something isn't exactly like you wanted it and learning the difference between this is wrong and this is just not the way I would do it. It's such a useful skill to learn. The idea of engagement versus attendance numbers is also such a useful distinction. I mean, with all of our churches being online this past year, you could see whether people were engaged or not on the stream. You know, when people come to church, they're less likely to get up when they're bored and leave. But online, yeah, it's easy to click away, you know, without anybody seeing you really. And so a lot of people do. And it's a real interesting way for us to now look at being back in person of are people engaged or not, not just are there people in the seats. Thanks, Greg. It was good stuff. If you're looking for a way to stay engaged with your production team over the summer, why not do a discussion group based on the book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas. I know it feels like I'm being a little self-serving plugging the book, but I mean, the whole goal for us is to help you and your teams become more effective. And I really believe that this book can help you and your team get better and more effective. Each chapter is short with discussion questions in the back of each chapter, giving you and your team the ability to talk about what you believe about production at your church. And it's an amazing way to get everyone on the same page about production values and how you as a team will function together. If you're interested in getting multiple copies for your team, you can order 10 or more at a discount from our website. So go to philo.org book. You can keep up to date with everything Philo by subscribing to this podcast telling your friends about it would be great too. Or you could check out in the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at at Philo Community and on Twitter at at Philo Conference. It's been good to be with you again. Have a great summer time and I'll see you later. <laughs>